The United States has now had nine presidential elections in a row, beginning in 1988, where neither side has won by a double-digit margin in the popular vote. Welcome to Politics is Everything. I'm Kara Ong Whaley. In this episode, Kyle Kondik and Miles Coleman discuss two eras in the Republican-Democrat two-party system that really stand out for the competitiveness because of how close consecutive presidential elections were. The six elections between 1876 and 1896, and the elections in the 2000 to 2020 time period. Kyle and Miles also discuss shifting voting patterns in this time period. Looking ahead, Kyle notes that the most competitive states in 2020 may be the most competitive in 2024. Michigan, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin in the Great Lakes region, and Arizona, Georgia, Nevada, North Carolina in the Sunbelt region. Enjoy our conversation. Well, thanks for all who are tuning in and listening. We're going to actually try something new this week and bring in some political trivia. Here's the trivia question. In the six elections this century, the popular vote margin has been less than five points in all but one of these elections. Which election was it? You know, there's a little tidbit in my piece today um, about, to your point, you know, five of the last six, um, uh, we've had, you know, less than five point margin in the uh, popular vote. And also you could find a period from 1876 to 1896, which is sometimes, you know, compared to this era in terms of the level of competitiveness and all of the elections, those six elections were um, decided by five points or less in the popular vote. And also just like this six year or six election period in a row, um, we had two electoral college misfires. You know, the, the winner of the electoral college is not the same as the popular vote winner. Um, we also had two of those back in the 1876 to 1896 period. Um, but also, I thought this is interesting that, you know, for much of American history outside of these two time periods, you really have a lot of uh, blowouts in presidential elections. Um, you know, since 1856, which is the start of the Democrats versus Republicans era. Obviously, the parties have changed a whole lot. The country's changed a whole lot since then. But we've, you know, we've had the same two major parties since about the time of the Civil War. Um, you have 16 of the 42 elections decided by five, uh, less than five points in the, in the popular vote. And 11 of them just come in those two eras. So um, it's just I, and I don't exactly know, you know, what might snap us out of this competitive era. But it, it's, it's certainly the case that we are in a highly competitive era. I'm reading this book called uh, called um, called Our Country by uh, by Michael Barron, who's the author of the uh, Almanac of America and Ten Politics. Um, and he's talking about America sort of um, going into the 1920s. Um, and he's one one of the things he mentions in this book is that uh, uh, something I pay attention to is uh, uh, instances of ticket splitting. And he's like, well, really ticket splitting really picked up in the 1920s. Um, and I was telling Kyle ahead of this, you know, it seems like, you know, one other thing, you know, other than the constantly competitive elections, you know, something our time and the Gilded Age may have in common poll politically uh, is they're very much straight part party errors with not much ticket splitting. And, you know, some of, some of what went on back then, like, you know, more than a, more than a century ago is like, you know, you didn't really have like a professionalized election system. Like the, the, the parties would be printing ballots and like handing them out. And so maybe that contributed to, um, you know, some of the straight ticket voting, but you know, it's just a totally, it's a totally different and, and professionalized era. Um, 
and uh, despite a lot of complaining, I think there's far less, you know, actual fraud going on and that sort of thing. But um, it is just sort of fascinating that, uh, you know, we're, we, we have these sort of two distinct eras in, in the history of our current two party system where you really have these competitive races from year to year. And a lot of the time outside of that, you just don't have that. Um, so I hope I'm, I'm not restating something that you've already answered, but I wanted to pick up with both of you um, about the, your examination of the Electoral College. And um, uh, really, Kyle, you found that there have been two eras in the Republican-Democrat two-party system that stand out for competitiveness because of how close the consecutive presidential presidential elections were. Um, there were six elections between 1876 and 1896, and elect the elections between 2000 and 2020 that kind of stood out to you as as um, you know really highly competitive presidential periods. Um, we know these. There's also high levels from political science. We know that these are these stand out as periods for high levels of economic inequality and also periods where we have highly polarized electorates. Um, but I wonder if you could talk a little bit about what you wrote about um, and what you found as you examined the history and why these two periods are unique. You know, I think maybe maybe one other you know one one difference between the two eras. I mean, again, obviously there, there are lots of different things going on. You know, um, basically only white men had the right to vote, at least in, in in much of the country in that in that that time period. Um, but you know, you you also have um, uh, you know the the elections in the sort of post Civil War era. They look a lot like the Civil War. You know, it's like North versus South, and the competitive states are essentially the border states that are sort of partially Southern and partially Northern, like Indiana, Illinois, and Ohio, really competitive. Um, New York was, was always very competitive throughout that time period as well. Um, you know, New York City basically has always, basically has always had this sort of Democratic Party tradition. Um, but obviously the Democratic Party has changed a lot over that time. But, but New York City has, has often had that sort of uh, that affiliation at the, at the presidential level. And now, though, you know, our elect- the, the, the elections are kind of like the Northeast and the West Coast as the Democratic region. And then like like the greater South and the interior West is Republican. Um, and then, you know, the Midwest continues to be pretty competitive, even though um, some of the, the key Midwestern swing states of the late 1800s, Ohio, Indiana, and Illinois, all over the years of sort of most recently with Ohio has sort of trended away from being sort of bellwether states, but now sort of the upper Midwest is kind of more, um, more competitive. And, and so again, you know, two competitive eras, but, um, lots of change underneath the hood in terms of like what the, you know, what, what the key states are. Um, I, you know, I pointed out in the piece that there were seven states in 2020 that where um, popular vote or the, the, the statewide vote was, was, was less than three points. Um, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, Michigan, and, and um, I guess what you consider to be the Great Lakes region, you know, Pennsylvania should really be in the Midwest because then I could just say the Midwest, but Pennsylvania is not in the Midwest. It's really, it's really a Northeastern state. Um, as classically defined, and then um, Georgia, North Carolina in the southeast, and then Arizona and Nevada out in the southwest. Um, you know, maybe something will sort of change in 2024 that that adds to the list of really competitive states. But um, you know, to me, I mean, those are still the states I think that are probably going to end up deciding the presidency. I don't know, Miles. What do you think? And do you think that there are um, you think that there are other states that might, you might add to that list for 24? No, I mean, that's, I would basically agree with you. I mean, I mean we've had, uh, you know, in both, a, in both a, uh, 2016 and 
2020, uh, we've had the same state, uh, the the state of Wisconsin, uh, being the uh, tap tapping point state. So it's you know I would not be surprised if states like that are still uh, sort of front and center. I mean, especially if you consider the the uh, the map for the Senate that's going to be up uh, next cycle as well. Yeah, a lot of the key, um, a lot of the key swing states have uh, have Senate races again um, this time. Although, of course, it's, it ends up being the Democrats um, almost entirely playing playing defense. Or I guess now in Arizona, it's a sort of playing defense for the Democrats with with uh, this strange uh, Kirsten Cinema situation. Um, you know, I think that um, we haven't done our Senate ratings yet um, for 2024. We, we, we will uh, um, sometime relatively soon. But, um, you know, I think Arizona certainly certainly solidified in kind of that toss up camp um, after uh, after cinema's announcement. We're going to pause and, and ask another crystal ball trivia question. Um, uh, well, a trivia question that really is going to reward the crystal ball faithful here. Over the past six elections, Democrats have won the presidency three times. Times, and Republicans have won the presidency three times. However, only one state has split 3-3 in its voting in that time frame. Which state is it? You read the crystal ball today. You will know the answer right away. <laughs> um, and we'll continue our discussion of that piece. Um, you know, without without giving it away, um, I was pretty surprised by that. And I'd, I'd actually done, I'd done a version of this piece back in 2019 where I sort of just looked at the kind of electoral college in the 21st century. But um, I just, I, you know, I mean, it, may, it makes sense, obviously, once you sort of look at the history or whatever. But um, I was surprised it was, it was just one state. You know, every other state has voted at least a you know, majority of the time for, for one party or the other. Kyle and Miles, um, you know, as you were looking at the shifts in the voting patterns from the 20 to 20, from the 2000 to 2020 time period, um, what patterns kind of emerged regionally? Um, and what do they tell us about, you know, changes in the electorate or the choices that the electorate has? I'm assuming we already have the answer to that, uh, the last, uh, that, that last question. And you know, uh, the answer is Iowa. Um, and Kyle mentioned Ohio earlier, you know, Iowa has sort of been like the almost Western version of Ohio, you know, used to be more of a bellwetherish type of a, a state. Uh, now the only statewide Dem- Democrat left there was going to be uh, Rob Sand, who's the state auditor, uh, and he only won by the skin of his teeth. Uh, this past year, the Republicans knocked off two longtime Democratic incumbents uh, for Attorney General and uh, State State uh, uh, Treasurer, who had each been there for like 40 years. Um, so, you know, just some of those larger trends kind of taken place or or kind kind of taken hold uh, down the ballot. Um, but, you know, I think one thing of our all is, you know, Kyle mentioned that the sort of Midwest has got gotten redder relative to the rest of the uh, country. You know, I've been um, it's it's um, it's been sort of a meme so far, at least here on here on Twitter. Uh, but I've been saying for the past few years, don't sleep on Alaska. Well, Alaska is one of the states that has trended most uh, most democratic. Um, we mentioned in a piece, I'm going to say this last year. Uh, talking about some of the differences between Texas and Florida. Um, since t- 2000, the lean of Texas has gotten a bit more blue. 
uh, while as Florida has gotten more Republican compared to the rest of the uh, rest of the uh, nation. Uh, something we said in Kyle's piece um, is even though Democrats have really complained about Al Gore's really close loss in Florida in 2000, um, is compared to the rest of the uh, country, Al Gore did very well in Florida. Uh, since the 2000, you know, it it about matched the the national popular vote in 2000. Uh, but in every election since, it's been at least maybe two three points more Republican than the rest of the country. Um, and then one other thing I'll say is, you know, talking about some of these internal changes within the uh, states um, is. Maine's lean relative to the rest of the uh, country uh, has been unchanged since 2000 going on to uh, 2020. Uh, but I think we're at a point now where just that first, you know, because Maine obviously splits its electoral votes, uh, that first district, which is Portland, you know, that's a pretty safe Democratic seat now. Uh, whereas District 2, that's a seat that Jared Golden has, it's a more Republican lean area now. I think going forward, that electoral vote is probably going to be at least leans Republican. So, you know, even though Maine's overall lean has been stagnant, its internal shifts had had some electoral college implications. You know, same thing, um, basically same thing with no, 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 Nebraska and Omaha, except uh, the benefit of the Democrats. You know, Maine is actually a good example of sort of the kinds of places that have sort of shifted. You know, the, the northern region is sort of um, a little uh, 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 doesn't have as high a four year college attainment, uh, is more is more rural, is a little more working class. And then the, the, the southern district is kind of more like sort of like big city Maine to the extent that big city Maine exists. Um, and also kind of more touristy, you know, if you go to like, like, uh, um, uh, you know, some of the Southern coast or, or what have you, you know, the, a lot of those places have gotten more democratic, but, you know, if you think about the places, you know, Miles talked about some of the places that have trended more Republican over the last 20 years, you know, some of the places that have trended more democratic, I think like Colorado in Virginia, they really stand out on our, um, on our map. Um, and, uh, they certainly stand out in terms of performance, you know, neither of those States, um, voted for either Al Gore or John Kerry, uh, also, uh, Colorado voted for Clinton once, I think in, in 92, uh, Virginia never voted for, for Bill Clinton. Um, and yet by now, I think they're both viewed rightfully so as sort of reliably, these leaning Democratic states. I think Colorado has probably zoomed even more toward the Democrats than, than, than even Virginia has. And, you know, you think about like sort of what's driving those changes, like a lot of kind of growing suburban, kind of highly educated, diverse, big city, you know, again, suburban slash big city areas, you know, like greater Denver, um, also some of the sort of resort areas in Colorado. And then you think about Virginia and, you know, Northern Virginia, of course, is a really big um, part of that uh, part of that story as well. And, um, you know, you think about like, a, a you know, Phoenix and in, in Arizona and uh, Metro Atlanta, which just demonstrated in the Georgia runoff um, uh, last week. Uh, you know, a lot of those places have just been, just been, you know, that they, they, first of all, they kind of, they kind of preferred the Republican party of, you know, a George W. Bush or John McCain or a Mitt Romney to that of, uh, of, of, of Donald Trump. But also you just have a lot of demographic change that has just been a little more positive for, um, for, for, uh, for, for Democrats, you know, overall, a lot of the Western states have gotten bluer relative to the nation. Um, um, as a, 
I could sort of forgot about this when I was looking at the results of, you know, Bush came within, I think, half a point of carrying Oregon in 2000. Um, you know, Oregon has been pretty reliably Democratic for a while, but, um, you know, you wouldn't think of a Republican presidential nominee as being able to have that kind of performance in Oregon. Um, you know, they, they, they've had, they, they've really tried to win even a governor's race out there and haven't been, been successful. Um, and, uh, you know, so, so the, the, you know, Western states have gotten a lot, uh, you know, move, moved uh, much more bluer, but then a lot of the Northeast, Midwest, greater South has, has gotten redder. Um, one of my uh, Twitter followers pointed this out, the followers pointed this out to me. I didn't really realize it. And, uh, but, you know, so there, there are 51 constituencies in the, in the electoral college, 50 states plus DC. The, uh, um, on the map today, 23 of them got redder between, um, uh, between uh, um, uh, uh, 2000 and, and 2020, um, 23 of them got bluer and then five of them stayed the same. And so there's, there's, you know, a lot changing underneath the hood, but a lot of times the sort of changes kind of cancel each other out and keep the, keep the country, you know, to, very competitive. Well, Kyle, you said uh, how Oregon was sort of a target for uh, Bush, at least in 2000. Uh, just reading some of the almanacs from that era, um, I, re I remember I was reading about uh, California in maybe the 2000 or 2004 edition. Um, and there was a sense that even on the Republican side, okay, well, California, you, you know, it's probably going, going to vote against us, but you know, it, it just may be too big for us to ignore. <laughs> so, you know, now it's gotten so, so much more blue. Yeah, when I was looking at the map, you know, it, one of the things that struck me was just really wanting to have a better understanding. As I looked at the states that especially got redder, like Missouri, Oklahoma, Arkansas, Tennessee, Kentucky, West Virginia, Alabama, Louisiana, um, you know, what's happening there socioeconomically, especially that might be driving those shifts um, to swing more Republican. Um, and then similarly, I think, you know, it's it's really interesting to think about like why some have just stayed the same and it's particularly in, you know, what was termed the like the the so-called blue wall states um, in, in 2016, 2020. Yeah, well, you know, a lot of those, uh, you know, a lot of those, you know, states that have gotten sort of the, the uh, most Republican in that uh, times sphere, uh, they're what Michael Barone calls a, a, a Jacksonian America, um, and you know, just tend to be whiter, more working class, uh, less college educated, as Callaway was saying, but you know, in um, you know. Um, being from one of those states myself, you know, in in Louisiana, you know, we're very big with the oil industry. That's, you know, as the Democrats have been seen as more uh, environmentalists, that's really hurt their uh, brand there. You know, aside from some of the other cultural issues, uh, what I thought was interesting, even looking out west, is, as Kyle said, you know, a lot of the states out west have gotten more democratic one of the few states out west that has moved more Republican is Wyoming. Uh, you also have a lot of extraction there. I think that's a great point. And you could also see 
if you go from 96 to 2000, so a lot of the states we were just talking about, the last time they voted Democratic for president was 96. And then by 2000, they had moved to the Republicans. Obama almost carried Missouri in 2008, but didn't, um, which I think was sort of telling. And of course, Missouri has zoomed right since then. But um, if you look at like, you know, West Virginia, it voted for um Carter in 1980, Michael Dukakis in 1988, Clinton comfortably twice, which I think tells us something about how uh, democratic that state used to be. And now it's like overwhelmingly Republican. Um, and you did see um, West Virginia shift from, you know, from from pretty strong for Clinton in um, in 96 to, uh, you know, to voting for Bush in 2000. And, you know, I, I do think that, you know, the, the sort of environmental positions may have had some some sort of role in that. Um, but also, I think you look at the, the, the flip side of that coin, you think about like Colorado as being this sort of like, um, certainly kind of a touristy state, but also kind of a state that's very much like conservation minded. And I wonder how much of the sort of Democrats maybe becoming more clearly the environmentalist party um, may have sort of helped things along for, uh, you know, in, in, in for Democrats in, in that state. These sort of hard things to sort of to sort of answer. But, you know, you do see the the trends kind of right in front of your faces and faces. So you try to figure out some of the reasons as to why that may have happened. Well, Kyle, you mentioned the 1980 election. You know, one thing I tweeted this a while ago, like West Virginia and Maryland voted about the same. You know, they were two of the states that stuck with Carter in 80. They both voted for him by maybe three, four points about that. You know, now if you look at their percentage margin, they're like 80 points apart or something like that. <laughs> yeah. And it just goes to show, too, that like we're in this competitive era um, but like there are things change quite a lot and even they change quite a lot from from election to election. I mean, you know, there's there's uh, in some of the political science literature, there's discussion. Um, uh, I think there was this VO key was the sort of realigning elections and the critic critical elections throughout history. And some of that stuff's been debunked. But, you know, there are certain elections where you do see these big shifts from from one year to the next. Frankly, I think 2016 kind of was that way. And, you know, even even though, um, you know, it wasn't like Trump won in some sort of Franklin Roosevelt style blowout. I mean, it's quite quite the opposite. Um, but in terms of some of the changes you actually saw at state level and, and, you know, certainly at the county level in certain places, traditionally Republican places becoming more Democratic, traditionally Democratic places becoming more Republican. I think we'll probably look back at 2016 as sort of the um, an important sort of crucial election in maybe determining some of the voting patterns that we see going forward here. You both have already spoken about what you see as the seven most competitive states looking into 2024, Michigan, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, Georgia, Nevada, North Carolina. Um, what, how, how should the parties be thinking about how they approach the 2024 election, given what you see as the competitiveness of these states? Miles, you're um uh, I know you're, you're from Louisiana, but also have an association with North Carolina. So let me let me ask you um, in regards to that question. How aggressively do you think Democrats should try to go after North Carolina in 2024, um, given of those seven states is the only one that voted for voted for Trump and uh, um, is a place where Democrats have sort of come up just a little bit short in recent years? Yeah, I don't you know. After the election, um, I had an interesting call with uh, Cal Cunningham, who, you know, of course, was a nominee for a Senate that year, who ended up come man, man, man up slightly uh, sh short. You know, my argument was his scandal that year wasn't the thing that mattered. It was the fact that Biden just didn't carry the estate. Um, and, you know, one of the things he said, which I thought was very interesting, 
um, is I think one of the things that hurt him was the a Trump campaign. And I think this is probably going to be true of the Republicans next cycle is, you know, they did not have a route to 270 without North Carolina. So it's just going to be more of a must win state uh, for the Republican side. Um, so, you know, I can still see it being competitive, but, you know, maybe not as crucial to Democrats as, say, a Wisconsin or a Pennsylvania. Uh, you know, I was talking to a reporter there last week um, and, you know, going into this year, I, I was really wondering if there was going to be any sort of sort of a uh, reversion uh, of some of those trends Kyle was talking about. You know, uh, the um, the precinct I grew up in in South Charlotte uh, is, you know, one of the more historically Republican regions of the state. Uh, they have a lot of uh, what our friend John Cuvion calls uh, the the uh, managerial Republicans. You know, these are those Republicans, more kind of white collar who would have gone, you know, my my uh, precinct in South Charlotte gave Romney, I'm going to say 60% in 2012. Trump barely carried it in 2016. Um, and he lost it by a decent margin in 20, uh, when he was up this last time in 2020. Beasley basically matched Biden in my precinct, if not, did a bit better. Uh, but it's funny, you know, so, you know, those urban trends sort of seem to take hold for Democrats there. But at the same time, you know, they fell off more uh, in what we call the uh, black belt, which is sort of the uh, more rural part of the state, which has part of the state, which has a decent black population. So, you know, you add in some of the retirees who are moving to the coast in North Carolina and, you, you know, you almost kind of have to feel bad for the Democrats there. It's OK. Well, you know, as soon as they get one problem uh, patched up, it's like others, you know, start up. <laughs> yeah, I think I, the, the way I would describe North Carolina is the way that I described Ohio back in my my book about Ohio as a swing state several years ago. Um and it's still true today, although Ohio certainly trended even more Republican, but um, that basically winning Ohio or North Carolina is a necessary but not sufficient condition for Republican presidential victory in a way that it's that those states are not that way for the Democrats. I'd say on the Democratic side, the state that is probably necessary but not sufficient for victory um, of the of the key swing states, I would say is Michigan, because I think it's fundamentally more Democratic than the other so-called blue wall states. Um, Pennsylvania and Wisconsin. Um, and so if, if in fact the Democrats are losing Michigan, they're probably losing Pennsylvania and Wisconsin at the same time, which we saw in, in the 2016 election. Um, Trump carried all three, but Michigan was the closest. Um, and so I don't necessarily think that North Carolina starts as really as a toss-up for president in 2024. I guess I don't really don't think Michigan does either. And then, then you sort of start thinking about how to categorize those other states. Well, it's funny because after the 08 election, uh, I remember when Obama carried North Carolina very closely, you know, even uh, even before I got as deep as I am now in terms of looking at, you know, uh, looking at all these uh, numbers and data about uh, about every state. Uh, you know, I would always describe North Carolina as sort of the icing on the cake for uh, for the Obama campaign. Yeah, it's a good way of putting it. 
Kyle and Mile, thank you so much for this great new piece in the crystal ball about the competitiveness of the states. Yeah, happy holidays, everyone. Yeah, thank you all. Listeners, if you're still wondering what the answer is to the first trivia question, in the six elections this century, the popular vote margin has been less than five points in all but one of these elections. That election was 2008. Hi, podcast listeners. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Politics is Everything. Editing and production was done by me. Our theme song is Let's Boogie by Chris Bays. Learn more about the Center for Politics and its work to strengthen democracy on our website at centerforpolitics.org. Be sure to also follow us on Twitter at center number four politics. You can also send us a recording of your questions or ideas for strengthening democracy to goodpolitics at virginia.edu. Until next time.